Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill. I'm the Chief Diversity Officer here at the AAVMC. So today we are talking a bit about mentoring. Now, we all know that mentoring can be an important part of student and professional development. In fact, having a mentor is correlated with an increased likelihood to pursue higher education. And in the workplace, it's actually highly correlated with job satisfaction, which certainly we can all say in veterinary medicine, we need more of that right now. Um, mentors also reap the rewards. Uh, mentors are much more likely to gain new skills um, and a greater understanding of their own jobs and positions. Additionally, they also have a much better pulse on how organizational culture is Im impacting themselves, their mentees, and certainly others. Now, during the pandemic, we actually saw a lot of organizations, um, both kind of not-for-profit and for-profit, increase the availability of mentor programs in hopes of alleviating some of the stress and anxiety experienced by the pandemic. Um, and my guest was right there in the thick of things, having started her organization uh, about two years ahead of the COVID-19 pandemic. So today we are talking to Dr. Valerie Marcano, co-founder of Possibilities, a nonprofit devoted to diversifying all veterinary roles. Welcome to the show, Valerie. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. So as is our custom on the show, I have guests. Tell us a little bit about themselves before we kind of dive into our conversation. Absolutely. So I completed my veterinary and PhD degrees at the University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine. And before that, I did my bachelor's degree at Cornell University, where I did a, a bachelor's in animal sciences with a minor in Spanish. And through all of that, I saw myself growing up in the veterinary profession, and the more I continued through that professional path, the more I saw less of myself. So as I made it through um, this tumultuous and busy <laughs> um, career training, I, I decided to do something about it. All right. right now, I am the the CEO and the co-founder of Possibilities Vet Med. And as of two and a half weeks ago, I am the owner of Valkyrie Consulting. All right. Congrats. Congrats. Um, so now when you say you were seeing less of yourself, are you talking about that kind of um, reflection um, in terms of BIPOC representation in the profession? Absolutely. So I grew up in the Dominican Republic and there my mom is a veterinarian. So I always saw someone around me that looked like myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily know that I was going to pursue a career in veterinary medicine. I guess everybody around me knew, but not me. Um, <laughs> I kept fooling myself into thinking I was going to do something different. And so when I moved to New York City and found myself in a household that had no pets, that's when I realized I, I 
couldn't see myself in any other career, but I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do within veterinary medicine. So I started volunteering at a shelter, not at a shelter, sorry, at a, a pet shop. And this pet shop, the owner was actually a black man who was a licensed veterinary technician. And so I continued to see individuals that looked like myself living in the Bronx, New York. He put me in touch with a veterinarian in Manhattan who happened to be a black woman. And so as I'm going through through high school, I'm seeing people in the veterinary profession that still looks like me. Mm. That started changing when I started my undergraduate career at Cornell University. I started with a pre-freshman summer program, a cohort that came in a little bit early. And through that, there were a lot of individuals that had similar backgrounds to mine, being BIPOC individuals, individuals that were from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, individuals that were from immigrant families. But as we started the fall semester, and kind of got diluted into the rest of campus, I didn't see as many people that looked like me. Mm -hmm. And the individuals that started the pre-vet career with me, I can think of maybe three or four of us that are now veterinarians. Many of those individuals ended up going into different careers. And I'm talking about like my the group around me of maybe 10 of us Mm -hmm. um, that were like people of color that wanted to, to go to vet school. And so as I started going through veterinary school and my PhD, that became even less and less and less. And I wanted to know why why is this happening? Because I grew up in a culture in which everybody looked like me. Um, I was part of the majority for most of my life, right? And then um, even going to New York City, I was still part of the quote-unquote majority of that area, individuals look like me because I am Afro-Latina, so I identify with the Black community and identify with the Hispanic community, and I kind of live in a weird in-between place Uh as well. Um, But that also means that I can kind of shift around and feel like I fit in multiple places. And Mm so it was very challenging for me at times to look around the room and be one of the few individuals of color and I wanted to do something about it. All right. And so that's something, it's possibilities? Yes. <laughs> what is possibilities? Yeah, so Possibilities Vet Med is a nonprofit organization that started with an idea. So as I progressed through vet school and my PhD, I just continued to have this just little annoyance in the back of my mind that there was something that I could do to make things better, to make sure that people knew about the veterinary profession, to make sure that individuals from all backgrounds were able to access this profession. And I didn't know quite what that was, but I was fortunate enough. My mom was being a vet. She did. She had a small animal practice, but she also had done a thesis working on rabies in vet school. And she actually focused in veterinary school on small ruminants. And so I ran around with her, you know, going to farm sheep and goats and seeing, you know, dogs and cats and doing all these different things. And as I was growing up, she actually joined the Ministry of Agriculture. So I saw the government side of things as well as the private practice. And when I moved to New York City, um, She actually put me in touch with a couple of individuals that mentored me through some of that process. And one of them worked at USDA, one of them worked in academia, and I got involved in research and I got to see so much of veterinary medicine. I got to see 
equine and ruminants, cattle, um, as well as small ruminants. I got to see some zoo med. I got to see some lab animal. And I was just so excited, so excited about all the things that I saw people doing within veterinary medicine. So when I got into my first year of vet school, I remember going through this careers courses our first semester. And every week we had a veterinarian from a different background doing a different kind of career come in and talk about it. And I remember a lot of times those individuals would ask at the beginning of class, like, who knows what a so-and-so vet does? And I'd be like, yes, 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 I do, I do. Um, But looking around the room, I realized a lot of people didn't know. So I wanted to find a way to combine this passion to let the entire world know that they could join the vet profession and to let people know about the myriad of careers that they could do within the profession. And I was like, do I do some sort of podcast? Do I do video series? Do I write a book? Like, how do you get to people? And at an animal health hackathon, I started thinking about uh, not necessarily the businessy side of things, but more of the connection side of things, the network side of things. Mm -hmm. And my idea was a mobile platform, a platform in which individuals can network with one another and which mentoring can happen. So to me, that was creating a network of facilitated opportunities for individuals who may not otherwise be either exposed to the career or have the support that they needed through through their career. So it started there. We paused it for a little bit. And then once um, we finished school, my husband and I decided to just go ahead and start it. Very, very cool. So in the interest of disclosure, I remember way back in the days um sitting on the phone with Valerie talking about the hackathon um it seems like forever ago it wasn't that long ago but, <laughs> but it seems like a long time so what need is possibilities um designed to meet yeah so i realized that throughout my career The reason I made it to where I was is because at all times I had somebody supporting me. Mm -hmm. I had a village of mentors that gave me their everything and helped me through all of it. And I honestly believed that everybody had that. And the more I meet people, I realized not everybody had the, the exposure that I had, the network that I had, the village that I had. And I also realized that individuals from disadvantaged backgrounds, individuals that were coming from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, from uh, families that were immigrant families, also didn't have those opportunities. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized when it came to individuals with disabilities, a lot of people didn't know what were the, the regulations, what were the rules, what they could do. Something as simple as, well, I have, you know, X disability can I still do it? I found a lot of individuals that didn't think that that was possible. And then I also found individuals that were doing it. And so I wanted to connect people to people and to resources and that niche of mentorship and guidance and resources seem to be particularly lacking in certain communities. And so I wanted individuals from um, disadvantaged communities or marginalized communities or underrepresented communities to have a level playing field to access this profession if that's the path that they chose to go. All right. So what age groups does possibilities target? Is this for 
you know, the, the, the wee ones? Um, or is it for, you know, pre-vet students like yourself who, um, you know, kind of was trudging it out up there in Ithaca? Or is it for veterinary professionals or the whole continuum? Kind of the whole continuum. So right now, individuals that are 18 and older can join. And that is because we have in place the safeguards to have individuals that are like underage on the platform. That's actually part of our Giving Tuesday campaign, um, which will be coming out in the next um, in the next couple of weeks. I think it's Tuesday, November 29th. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to raise the funds that we need to run background checks and organize our platform in such a way that it will be safe for individuals 13 and older, because we know that people want to join this profession much earlier than 18. But we also want to make sure that we do that safely. So it is for individuals as of right now, 18 and older who want to join the veterinary profession or already in the vet profession. So basically 18 until you retire and don't want to login anymore. But it is for for vets, um, for technicians, for assistants, for hospital managers. Um, and it can be individuals that are already in the profession that are interested in the profession or anywhere along that journey. Okay. So um so who are the mentors and what do the mentors do? Like, you know, so so there's all of these folks that are really interested. We've been um, certainly hearing a lot about possibilities, um, certainly in the last two years. I mean, just about everything DEI in the last two years in the wake of the murder of George Floyd just kind of exploded. Um, <clears throat> and so, um, you know, in, in light of all of that, you know, how are you recruiting and, and what are what are they you know, what's, what are they doing? What are the, what's the job of the mentor, a possibilities mentor? Yeah. So the path is individuals that want to come into the platform. So we have an online, like mobile platform, kind of like a social media um, website, and you have to take a two hour training to be allowed to join. Mm-hmm. Our requirement is this training, which has basics of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it goes through mentorship, inclusive mentorship, and touches on personality types and growth mindset and things of the sort. So everybody, mentors and mentees, has to go through that because we want we want allies on the platform as well to help mentor the next generation of veterinarians and technicians and um, support staff. And so we want them to be aware of their their biases, (laughs) have resources. And so you go through that training. And as you create your profile, you can decide whether you want to be a mentor, a mentee, or both. And that's because we believe that everyone has something to offer and everyone has something to learn. And so as you are going through that journey, we don't necessarily expect um, you know, the veterinarians that have been out for 10, 15 years to mentor everybody on that pipeline. Sure. So the way we see it, current veterinary students are able to mentor, you know, pre-veterinary students and then veterinarians are able to mentor uh, vet students. But at the same time, senior vet students can mentor, you know, junior vet students. Yeah. So it's really um, all about creating those connections. So we don't have an established mentorship program. What we do okay. is facilitate the connections that create those mentorship relationships. And if people are interested, we have an algorithm that can pair you with individuals or we can do a manual pairing. Oh. And so we're just trying to create a space where informal mentorship can happen. And we are trying to open it up to 
the profession as a whole, because I know a lot of what I learned, I learned from assistants and technicians. And I've been mentored by as many of those as I have been by veterinarians and by people that are in the profession in other roles, such as yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it, um, these kind of informal things are, are are so important because I think that, you know, a lot of groups focus so deeply on creating a structured mentor program. And, you know, it's like, OK, we're going to do mentoring, speed dating, and we're going to try to get people together. And and. A lot of what I see, um, and including in veterinary medicine, um, you know, some of these programs really just don't work well, whether they are at, you know, the professional organization or even locally at some of the colleges, the programs just don't quite curl all the way over, as we say, right? It just doesn't quite meet those needs. Um, and so, you know, what I have historically found, at least, and in, in even in my own career, is that informal mentoring, um, you know, is kind of where it's at, right? Um, and so this idea of kind of facilitating just networking people together and letting them um, you know, navigate how they want those relationships to grow and mature is is a really kind of um, you know cool thing. So, so um, what resources do you kind of help folks find? And and you know, like what's what's that part of um, the programming? Yeah, so we have a little bit of everything, um, and that's the the fun part of it. <laughs> but it's it's also where a lot of our resources get taken up, trying to provide resources for others. So I agree um, with you, you know, on the informal mentorship and you know versus the formal mentorship. I think there's a need for for both, and so as part of our resources, we have. Um, for example, scholarships to the mentor vet program. And so we have our some of our recent graduates. I'm actually going through the program right now and really enjoying it. Um, and so we do partnerships with a lot of different organizations to provide some of those resources. If people want to do a more formal program, we have um, an entire resources tab that has, you know, these are some of the conversation topics. And we know in the future we want to establish something that is not formal in the sense of this is your three-year mentoring program, yeah. but this here are some monthly topics that you can discuss if you're meeting with your mentor this month. We also provide different seminars. So we have had um, a lot of partnering organizations come in. Um, Dr. Addie Reinhardt from um, MentorVet actually came in and did a QPR training. We've had, um, we have had, let's see, uh, compassion fatigue and burnout uh, we've had uh, Dr. Nicole Bruno talking about leadership in the hospital. That was a little bit before. Now she has um, her blended yeah. program and we partner with them as well. We had um, Dr. Adam Chrisman come in and talk about changing careers. We had Dr. Quincy Holly come in to talk about um, get motivated. And so we're, we're growing slowly. We had... Um, Dr. Lila Preka come in from Vet Ahead, come in and talk about being a, a zoo uh, veterinarian, zoo veterinarian. Or we've had, um, I guess me, I've been doing these series on um, poultry diseases. So there's a little bit of everything. We're trying to to give people 
things that they would be interested in. So we try to have different networking events. Our whole board of directors has been signing up for these different um, networking events. And they're just informal. Everybody comes in and you just chat about life or whatever topic the the facilitator wants to talk about that day. We had the Through the Lens series. So that is one series we've partnered with Zoetis on. They, they funded it every year for three years now. And on the first one, we did four series or one series of four episodes in which for each one, we broke it down by different racial and ethnic groups. So we did through the lens of Black and African-American veterinarians and technicians and through the lens of um, Hispanic and Latinx uh, vets and techs. And so we did that last year. This year, we did um, multicultural uh, veterinarians and technicians. We did two for the LGBTQI community as well. And then next year, we have some plans on um, how we want to spice it up a little. And then we've done, we did another four part series on advising versus coaching versus mentoring. And that was a lot of fun. So we pre-record a lot of our events and we're actually in the process of building a database in which our members can actually come in and watch some of those videos. And then within our resources, we have areas where like, if we know of scholarships, we send them out, we have a monthly newsletter and where there are areas where you can go in and look at some of the pre-vet and pre-tech programs at different mm-hmm. schools, like the vets that go and um, the different programs that Purdue has. So pretty much anything that we think would be useful to our people <laughs> uh-huh. in turning it into, into a database. Very cool. So how many people do you have on the platform presently? As of today, 350. And that's wow. from about, I think, between 35 and 40 U.S. states. We okay. actually have... I think six or seven different countries, usually like one person sure. um, from different countries, because we don't really say no um, to individuals that are coming from outside of the U.S., although we do specify that most of our resources, resources are going to be towards individuals in veterinary yeah. medicine in the U.S. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. That's uh, a lot of growth there. That's really exciting. So, you know, um, my last show, I had the DEI commission, the AVMA, AAVMC DEI commission. And one of the things that we talked about was, um, you know, the dramatic growth in affinity groups um, in the last two years, again, in the wake of um, the summer of 2020. Um, where does possibilities fit <laughs> in kind of this you know, new um, burgeoning kind of DEI organization, you know, organized vet med? I believe that we're a pipeline. So we are, um, we have this graphic, it's kind of like train tracks going around and through it is kind of a funnel, right? So people come into this profession at a lot of different stages. So you may come in, decide that you want to do it when you're five, when you're 10, when you're 20, when you're 30. Mm -hmm. And so we see ourselves as the place where a lot of these groups can kind of interact or send people or connect. So we're more of the all-encompassing network. Mm-hmm. So we partner with a lot of the affinity groups. So Black DVM Network, LVMA, AAVMP, the North Carolina Minority uh, Association for Minority Veterinarians. We have individuals um, 
from those organizations that we communicate with all the time and try to send out information and bring people into the platform for that mentorship. We are um, Pride VMCs and I believe LVMA's um, main mentoring platform. Wow. And so our, our dream is really to become that pipeline where if individuals do some of the the summer programs that are you know a day or a week or a month your your vet set go or whatever other programs they can come in after and get that longevity so that you can come in and at each time point find what you need regardless of the stage that that you're on but we really see ourselves as not one affinity group but one place where intersectionality can take place Wow, that's really cool. So, you know, you've got 300 plus folks. You've been around for a few years now. You did mention uh, Giving Tuesday and those types of things and, and the need to continue to raise funds. So, you know, where do you see possibilities going? I see it taking over the world. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, so I I really see it as a place to level level the playing field. I see it as the place where individuals can come in and learn about all the possibilities, haha, pun intended, um, within the veterinary profession, be that, you know, different careers where they can find mentors, where they can give back, and a place where people can grow together. So I see it as really being a, a community that supports one another. Nice, nice. And what is the one thing that you think uh, would be that big tipping point for possibilities to take off and have a thousand people in the platform? I really think that opening up the platform to individuals 13 and older, having the funds to do that outreach to a lot of those communities. So creating that partnership with a lot of these groups that are already doing some of this work, I don't see us as doubling efforts. I think we can connect a lot of the outreach that is already happening figure out where the gaps are, and then work on filling in those gaps. So for me, that is this platform expansion and really connecting a lot of the groups that are out there in veterinary medicine already doing this work. Great, great. So now is Possibilities an app? Um, Certainly we know that there's a website, but like, you know, what is this platform? Is it an app that we can all go to the, uh, I'm an Android person, folks, like, so the Google store or, you know, that other thing that people use? Yes, yes. So you can actually, um, if you go onto the Possibilities website, which is possibilitiesofthatmet.com, on the join us tab, it has all of the like the different steps. So it's first creating an account, completing the mandatory training, and then we send you the link for the platform. And so the platform can be a separate website or you can have it as an app on your Android or your Apple phone. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. So you just can't go and join people. You got to jump through some hoops first to make sure that you're uh, worthy. <laughs> That's one way to put it. 
are you worthy? But it's also no, so, not so much like you are worthy, but if you're not like, we'll make you worthy with the yeah. training, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's okay to have prereqs. We have prereqs. It's okay. Yes. It's okay. So, um, you know, what do you see as um, the biggest challenge, you know, that, you know, with, with launching a program like this and, and keeping it sustainable? Yep. For us, it has been manpower mm. and funding because we, when we decided to launch, um, we had already been working on it kind of on the, on the side for a little while. And then it had been on the back burner for a year. And then with everything that happened, as you mentioned with George Floyd, all of a sudden, like DEI was front and center. Yeah. Whereas for a lot of companies before that and a lot of groups, we know for who it was important and we know for who it wasn't. Right. And so we came in at a time when everybody wanted to do something about it. And we were fortunate enough to get a really good group, a, a good advisory board, a good board of directors and a few volunteers. But we also started getting pulled from a lot of different directions for a lot of initiatives that were really cool <laughs> and yeah. really did fit in, you know, with our mission. Some of them didn't, some of them did. But so the hardest part has really been finding that balance and being able to direct the funds towards what we see as our bottom line and our growth. So right now, my husband and I, as the CEO and COO, donate all of our time to possibilities. And we have one full-time employee and two part-time employees. And it's been great, but we're not at the point where we're quite a sustainable organization. And so we're working on different avenues for revenue that are more sustainable because right now we're relying 100% on um, donations from corporations and individuals. So we're in the process of applying for different grants and figuring out funds to to ways to build that revenue so doing a job board and i don't know yeah. we'll see wow. what else yeah well uh so yes usually the tuesday i think after um american thanksgiving anyway is what we call here in the states giving tuesday so uh yeah how would fo folks support possibilities so we will actually be putting out a link with a, a landing page um, and putting it out all over social media. We are on on Instagram and Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and people can go on there and donate. They can share, they can like, um, if people can just come and follow us on social media and comment on our posts and share our posts, that really, really helps. And then if for anybody who is interested in mentoring or in being a mentor or being a mentee, just join the platform. We'd love to have you. Great. Yeah. yeah. And so, yes, there is a nice little pretty money green button um, on the possibilities website. <laughs> so, uh, you can go on over there should you yeah. uh, desire. So, um, you know, I just have a couple more questions for you, Valerie. What do you see you know, what is a space for possibilities that you'd like to move into? What is that kind of opportunities that you see that, you know, you're not in a position to do quite yet, but really are looking to, you know, way down, you know, on the horizon? We really want to start um, being present in a lot of the 
like in a lot of the schools, um, be that, you know, some of the undergraduate programs, the vet tech programs, the vet programs with different, like we've had actually several like undergraduate and veterinary and vet tech students reach out and ask for an ambassador program mm. and they really want to do it. But I also feel that individuals um, such as ourselves oftentimes donate our, our time quite a bit. And yeah. so I want to get to the point where I can offer something in exchange for some of these positions as opposed to just here volunteer this many hours spreading the word about possibilities. So what I would really like is to be able to to build a program that also gives people like a small scholarship or gives them something to help them to, you know, the vet tech or the vet program. So it would be great to be able to offer something like that and have the resources to expand the program to really anybody who who wants to do it because at the, right now we don't have the money we also don't have the time to yeah. have you know to have someone oversee a number of ambassadors so it's we're we're shorthanded and poor so <laughs> it's it's um sure a little bit of a challenge so that is one of the projects that we're working on okay all right so you know you, something you alluded to has kind of got me um uh, thinking of two questions for you. And the first is, um, you know, you mentioned how, um, you know, some of the populations that you're targeting and you're working with, these are individuals that end up kind of giving, 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 um, you know, the literature calls it the diversity tax where, um, you know, there's this kind of either through choice and or assignment um, BIPOC individuals in, you know, almost any industry are kind of tapped to, um, you know, do mentoring, tap to do outreach, tap to do all of the things when they might be the lonely only. And, you know, it, it's kind of a catch-22, right? You you don't want to be the lonely only anymore since so somebody's got to do the recruitment, but why does the one person who's the lonely only has to do the recruitment as well, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, what types of um, things have you thought about for possibilities to kind of I mean, certainly we talked just now about the ex potential for expansion, but how are you potentially maybe coaching existing mentors on how to practice a little bit of self-protection? So a lot of what we, so we are and we aren't. Um, so that concept has really seeped through our organization. The as soon as we started, we had many groups that were starting their own DEI journey and were coming to us for, for advice. And it was taking a toll. It was taking a toll um, on me as kind of the face of possibilities, the number of calls that I could do, you know, in an evening while I still had a, a full-time job and this was my side gig. And it was continuous. Like, we're starting this. How can we partner? I'm like, I'm not sure that there is a place to partner, right? Like you don't have yeah. anything, you don't, you don't have goals, you don't have a mission. And so what we started doing was creating a set of consulting fees and saying, sure, we can help you here are consulting fees. And so I would say nine out of 10 times, those individuals would say, well, we're not at a place where we have that. So let us come back to you. 
and it's been two years and I don't I think 90% of those groups have not come back to them. <laughs> um, what we realize is that that continues to happen. Individuals are asked to donate their time. And so what we've done with possibilities is specifically say to individuals, when we ask you to be on a panel to come in and do a seminar, you are not donating your time. We You can ask for an honorarium. I mean, we still have a number of individuals who decide to donate their honorarium back to possibilities, but we're trying to make the point that it is okay to get paid to do a lot of these engagements. And we do go through and actually pull from our from our membership for some of these panels. And we find individuals and say, look, we've heard you've had really great experiences or experiences you may be interested in sharing, or you may have a story to tell. Um, come join us. And again, that comes with an honorarium. So it's one way in which we are trying to do that because our volunteers, I mean, our, our mentors and mentees are volunteering their time to do this, but we don't really have a way because the whole program is free of charge for the mentees yeah. and the mentors. We don't really have a way to change that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, we are recruiting a lot of allies. And so part of it is if we have say then hypothetically, but actually, actually less than 2%, you know, black veterinarians, we can expect those less than 2% individuals to help with all yeah. of the recruitment, all the diversity right. work of all the potentially black and African-American students that we want to come. We know that right. there is definitely a value in being mentored both by individuals that are like you and individuals that are different from you. Yeah. And so we want to provide that visibility. Look, there are people like you that are doing it, but we also want our allies to come in and help with some of that mentorship to help retain individuals, which will ultimately lead to more recruitment. Sure. Great. Great. Yes. And so, um, yes, uh, <clears throat> two things. One, I just have to co-sign on that because um, folks that that know me well, I'm always, you know, often bombarded with, hey, can you teach me about DEI? Folks kind of slide into my inbox, right? And 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 I'm it, it, there's a part of you when you're kind of faced with these types of things where you're like, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly want to help. I want to be giving. I want to be generous. But I'm also like, you know, I have a job like and, and it's not individual. <laughs> like it's not individualized education. <laughs> That's not actually the job. Right. And so, yeah. you know, um, folks that know me well know that periodically I just have like this PSA that is like, you know, hey. The content is readily available on Beyonce's internet. <laughs> you just go ahead and Google that yeah. <laughs> before you ask me for a tailored, you know, syllabus on <laughs> what you should be, you know, doing. Um, and and you know, the last time I did that, I was just like, no, you you have to pay for this. This is actual labor. Um, it's stuff that that folks like you and I are passionate about, but it's labor. <laughs> <laughs> it is labor. It um, is. And there's an, a, a huge emotional component to that labor as well, I think, that we have to acknowledge. So so with that all in mind, then, Dr. Marcano, how are you practicing, you know, well-being for you um, as, you know, someone who has a fair amount of visibility now in the profession and in leading this young, growing organization? How does Valerie take care of Valerie, um, you know, so that folks kind of know that they need to do that, too? 
Absolutely. Or do we, or do we, or do we, does Valerie and Lisa have need to have an offline conversation about? So, <laughs> in, in the interest of disclosure, Val, I do mentor Valerie, and Valerie mentors me. So, <laughs> so it really started with a story of early burnout. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, having done both of a, a vet and a PhD program combined, and at the same time, um, having you as a mentor, you know, I was leading like the national, you know, voice organization. I had the Swine Aquaculture Poultry Club that I had started at Georgia and I had two part-time jobs. Um, And I'm just, I've just always been a busy body who does not know how to relax. Mm -hmm. And I've had to train myself. So back in, gosh, this must've been either 2018 or 2019, I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And the reason I was diagnosed was because for about five years before that, I had a bazillion doctor visits where nobody could figure out why I could sleep nine and 10 hours and be exhausted, why I kept spraining different joints, why I bruised so easy, all these different things, right? So it got to the point where I could literally not go up and down stairs physically. I had to take an elevator for a half flight of stairs and I'm sad to say, like, for me, it was like all the shame. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what is happening? And so I would some days just like be like, oh, people are going to judge me if I take the elevator. So let me just take about 15 minutes to go up these like 10 steps. Um, And it's like, what is worse that like people see me doing this or that I take the elevator and pretend it never happened? Right. So it just went through this whole period of what is happening to me. And when I got diagnosed, I started reading about it and learning about it and I remember my geneticist gave me this book about EDS and I was like, surely I'm mostly a normal person. What are you talking about? And I remember reading that book and being like, oh my God, somebody has been like following me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anything from sleeping to like heat intolerance to different foods to how often people use the bathroom, like literally the silliest things in my mind that I thought were normal about me were not. I didn't realize other people didn't go through that. I just assumed everybody was in pain all the time. They just didn't complain about it. So I didn't complain about it Mm -hmm. because why would I be the person that complained? Right. And so it started when the physical therapy group that I was seeing was actually making it worse for me. And I decided to find a physical therapist that I knew knew about EDS. And the one that was closest to me was an hour and 15 minutes away and I was in clinics. Mm -hmm. And so I remember taking what felt like a bit of a shameful walk to the main office and saying, I need to go to physical therapy. And they said, oh, that's fine. And I said, so it's an hour away. So it's a, it's a, three and a half to four hour trip every time I do this like this is a a, it's an afternoon and they said it was fine and I I was like I'm sorry what it's okay (laughs) and so I was doing this kind of every week every other week trying to fit it in with clinics trying to see if I could like swap some shifts and honestly my my rotation mates were amazing about it um and so I realized that I could ask for those things and it took me a long time to ask, but then I realized it was okay. 
And so as I went through that process, then all of COVID like started, I ended vet school, moved to a different place, started a new job, launched a nonprofit, and then all the calls started. It was every weekend, every evening, it would get to Sunday night and I just, I was exhausted, but you know what? I loved poultry, which is what I was doing for my day job. I love DEI, which is what I was doing in the evening. So why would I complain about it again? Right. It's, it's kind of that same story of like, yeah. surely everybody is this tired. So why would I complain about it? <laughs> and eventually I said, you know what? This is not sustainable. I'm always telling other people to take care of themselves. And so we pushed through and hired our, our first part time employee who had been actually volunteering their time under the, the promise, which was not an empty promise because we did it, <laughs> that we would as soon as we had funds, hire her. Yeah. And so we did. Yeah. And then we started taking Friday nights off. Mm. And then we started taking Saturdays off. And then we decided as we hired our program director, Heather, full time, that we were going to try to take weekends off, except for like an afternoon if something needed to get done. Yeah. Yeah. And at that time, I also decided when I passed um, poultry boards, I was going to start drumming lessons, which blurred behind me is my drum set that I bought. Um, And actually, as of four weeks ago, I started my drumming lessons because I passed boards and I am now a (laughs) boarded poultry professional. And so... I started doing these monthly massages. I got myself into therapy and I do therapy weekly. And then I do um, psychiatry once a quarter. And so I just have, you know, I have my physical therapy appointments, my therapy appointments, my massage appointments, just kind of intertwined into my schedule to make sure I I take that time for myself. Um, My husband and I bought bikes and we go out biking, we walk the dogs. And it's just been a matter of realizing that if I don't take care of me, nobody else will. Although I have to say, my husband really tries his hardest. Um, <laughs> he tries really hard to yeah. take care of me. Yeah. But it's hard to take care of somebody who doesn't want to take care of themselves. So when yeah. I'm in those yeah. moves that yeah. I'm like, go, 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 I have to remind myself that I have certain limitations. And I have to listen to listen to my body. And that means sometimes I have to take time off. And sometimes I forget the type A person in me forgets and I do too much and then I pay for it. And then I remember. Yeah. 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 Well, Valerie, thank you so much for sharing um, that. I think that, um, you know, there are times when um, those of us who have, you know, limitations, um, disabilities, that we often kind of hide them. We don't talk about them. Sometimes there's a lot of shame in what we can't do versus what we can do potentially with limitations or with adaptations, those kinds of things. And so um, I think, you know, I'm glad that I asked you that question. It wasn't on my list. (laughs) Wasn't on my list, but... um, you know, I think that that there's also a challenge for folks with marginalized identities who oftentimes feel like in some of these scenarios, we can't say no, right? Because one, either we're a little bit afraid that the opportunity will not present itself again, right? Um, or um, if we say no, what does that, what message 
are we inadvertently sending not only about ourselves, but everyone that looks like us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's this burden that kind of is attached to it. And so um, thank you. I just want to just say from me to you, uh, thank you for sharing that because I don't think that we do enough um, and are transparent enough to really kind of talk about some of these things. So thank you for that. Um, I tried to, I tried to, and that's because I've realized that like you said a lot of times we don't talk about those things and I feel that every time I have opened myself up to that I do get a little message from someone who says thank you like yeah I needed to hear that so that's like I didn't get in my first round of vet school applications right I didn't and when I talk to students I almost always mention it because they're like there's this thought that there's like shame in not getting in when the reality is it's so competitive that a lot of people don't yeah and it's okay yeah so I do that with that I do it I try to do it with um LR Danlos syndrome I have been diagnosed with ADHD and depression and anxiety and so I have to build in (laughs) I have to build in these teams I didn't actually get diagnosed with ADHD until this year and it was the same thing with the EDS where I just kept saying I'm tired I'm tired I'm tired or I don't feel like I can focus or I don't feel like I can do this and a lot of the the feedback that I got and not really necessarily from like people that were were close to me but sometimes like family members or something Mm -hmm. like that it would be like I mean, but you just do so much, you know, you, you do so much, or how can you have ADHD when you've made it through, you know, all of these degrees or whatever else. So is this thought like, it can't possibly be me, right? Like I wouldn't have done all these things because people with ADHD, like, don't like, what's that about? Like, so I do feel a weird sense of empowerment is almost like a that dark feeling of you know how much easier the last 10 years <laughs> I could have been but, so much happier <laughs> and at the same as at the same time it's like oh like this is part of why I felt like it was a little harder so maybe it is true that it was a little more difficult for me it's like this strange feeling where you're like but I don't want to feel that way like yeah yeah it's all these mixed emotions of like I wouldn't have made it but I did make it so does that make me like a superhuman well but it would have been so much easier if I had had medication but then wouldn't have been so I don't know well and I mean I think that it's also important for folks to understand that these are these are very layered feelings right so these are you know we've been talking for the last few minutes about you know health and well-being um, as you know, you're a young leader in veterinary medicine, but the reality is that these feelings also um, kind of are, you know, when we're not talking about health and we're talking about work, these same feelings, we package them and call them imposter syndrome, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, and we know that folks with marginalized identities, um, tend to suffer from them, you know, suffer from, um, imposter syndrome often, um, sometimes at a higher rate than our peers. And, and I, and so, you know, just, I think it's important for folks to to just know that, 
um, all of this is kind of happening for a lot of folks in the background. And I think that everybody has some version of it, but I do think that um, for folks with marginalized backgrounds, um, including, um, you know, disabilities, whether they're visible or not, including our, um, you know, gender and sexual minority um, folks, everybody is kind of experiencing some version of this. And so, you know, the, the, the need um, to practice that self-care and to really kind of carve out that time to be well, um, you know, and to push forward is really essential. So again, thank you for sharing. Really I tried to. <laughs> I tried to. Oh. One of one of the strategies I've been using to overcome the imposter syndrome is listing what I've done. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it feels like, especially if I'm talking to a friend or something like that, like I'm just like bragging and I said, that's the imposter syndrome again, right? I'm just like, wait, hold on. It's like when the daily version of it is when my husband comes home and it's like, so how was your day? What did you do? Oh, not much. I don't feel like I was very productive. I just did this and 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 this. Oh, and by the way, I was able to do this and this and this. And it's like, wait, like I was productive. Sure. I didn't get through my impossible to-do list. Yeah. And I feel like that with life a little bit too, right? Where it's like, oh, but I'm, but I'm young, but I haven't done that much, but I haven't experienced that much. Well, I, I guess in my 30 years, I've done a few different degrees, led a few different organizations and started a nonprofit and an LLC. I, I don't know. Like, is that enough? What is enough? Define enough. Right. Um, <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I had this the other day. So I do some of the, the low cost um, mobile vaccine clinics. And I had these, this one was at a tractor supply and I had left the, the group because we were done, but I was shopping around because they had jeans and I was like, oh, look, jeans. Um, and I don't think they realized that I was literally an aisle over. So they, I heard them talk about someone and they were saying all these nice things. And I was like, oh, that sounds nice. And then somebody said, oh, yeah, any day that I work with Dr. Marcano is a good day. And I turned around. And I was like, they were talking about me. And that was the time when I was like, hey, guys, I figured you should know I'm right here. And they're all like, um. but to me, that was like a weird validation of yeah. maybe the things are the things I'm doing and the way I'm doing things is okay yeah it's okay and it's making a difference so great well I think that that's a great place to to put a pin in it for today uh Dr. Marcano Valerie thank you for joining me on today's show it's been really a lovely conversation and I wish you and Seth um you know all the success in the world with possibilities so. Dr. Greenhill, Lisa, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been a, a great conversation. And I mean, this this podcast slash videos slash seminars um, are just absolutely fantastic and just what this industry needs. 
Thank you. Thanks a bunch. I really appreciate it. So this has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. To my guests again, Valerie, thank you for joining me and good luck to Possibilities. Be sure to go check out Possibilities uh, for Giving Tuesday. Um, also, I just want to say we are at 599 subscribers on YouTube. Come on, somebody. Make Dr. Greenhill happy and take us to 600. Come on to somebody's make us like, make me happy and get me to 600 and get me past it. So <laughs> be sure to uh, like and subscribe to the show on both YouTube and your favorite podcast app. Um, and uh, we look forward to uh, our next episode sometime in the next couple of weeks. Thank you so much for viewing. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.